Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sank who scares me, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Those of you who just heard that by podcast, it, it was just the uh, music stand falling down. Nothing really dangerous. <laughs> this week's Haftor portion is what I want to concentrate on today. It's found in Isaiah chapter 1. And this is called Shabbat Chazon. Say Chazon. Chazon is the Hebrew word for prophecy, for prophetic revelation, or prophetic word, or even prophetic vision. It's also translated vision. And you may know the scripture that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. It says, uh, when there is no chazon, the people perish. So chazon has, has many different dimensions. It's not always super spiritual, but it does connect the spiritual with the physical. It's an interface between these worlds, which are always connected even if we don't recognize it. And it's important for those of you to distinguish between chazon and the Italian delicacy, calzone. <laughs> And there are many people who eat calzone or some similar form who in the middle of the night have an experience that they wonder, was that, was that a vision from the Lord? I am not sure. It, it's worth paying attention to something here, and that is Isaiah is a Jewish prophet, and he's writing to the Jewish people during a time of trouble. He's writing about the trouble, but he's mixing that with the vision of God. It's one thing to know how bad things are. It's another thing to know where they're headed. It's important to understand causes and effects, and also problems and solutions. If you only pay attention to problems, then you will miss something very important. Yeshua commissioned us to bring the good news to people, in order to bring good news, we may have to be aware of what bad news they're experiencing so that we can tell them where the good news is from God. Isaiah is a prophet who has many messianic elements to his message, and he's speaking about redemption, but he's also speaking about sin. And he is speaking to the Jewish people and it's important, what he had to say was not only important for the Jewish people of his day, it's important for the Jewish people today. And it's important for Messianic Jews today. And it's important not only for Jewish people, it's important for every nation of the world because the insights that Isaiah has and the message that he has is applicable and timely for us. He saw something that is still powerful. Now, it's also important to recognize this. Isaiah is not an anti-Semite. I'm, I'm saying that because sometimes when people uh, talk about the challenges, the spiritual challenges of the Jewish people, they're accused of being anti-Semites. 
But I can tell you, Isaiah is not an anti-Semite. He's not against the Jewish people. He is for the Jewish people. And this reading, this traditional reading, is not um, a reading selected by us as a Messianic congregation. This is the traditional reading of our community on this Shabbat, on the entire Jewish world, reading this, which is the reason why this, this day, this weekend, is called Shabbat Chazon the Shabbat of vision, but also the Shabbat in which Isaiah's vision is read and attended to. Tonight is the beginning of Tisha B'Av. It's a a commemoration, a, a solemn day in the Jewish world, remembering many of the tragedies that befell our people. And it's a time of fasting, traditionally, a time of humbling and prayer, But what's really important, if we take Isaiah's message to heart, is not that we just engage in religious activity, but we actually turn our hearts to God. It's not enough that we participate in a Jewish tradition or even God's traditions. We need to participate with God in all of the challenges that we face. Now, Isaiah has an insight. I want to read to you some of his words. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the chazon of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, when he, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Yotam, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. In verse 2. Listen, O heavens, and listen, O earth, because the Lord speaks. Sons I've reared, children I have reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. An ox knows its owner, donkey knows its master's crib and manger, but Israel does not know and have intimacy. My people don't understand. They don't think about, they don't consider this. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, burdened down and weighed down with iniquity. Children of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. Now, doesn't that sound anti-Semitic? Oh, bad Jews. But that's not an anti-Semitic statement. This is from Isaiah. Sons who act corruptly. Now, it's important to understand the tone here. Even though the words are strong, this is the word of God our Father to his children. His children. Say this with me. His children. He's talking to his children. Every parent has this experience, sometimes where you have to correct your children. And sometimes you have to be firm. And sometimes you have to be tough. And sometimes they will choke up. Now, how do I know about this? I, too, was a child, (laughs) as were you. How many ever had a day before your father or your mother or both of them, a day of accountability? Any remember those? Oh, yeah. Which time? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we've had that experience. As well, we know as parents and grandparents what it's like. And this discipline is not meant to be cruel, nor is it meant to be rejecting. It's meant to be restorative. 
So we have to read it with that tone. Son, you've acted corruptly. Daughter, you've acted corruptly. Now here's the prophetic challenge. You've forsaken the Lord. You've provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. You've turned away from him. You've turned around. You've turned, as one translation has it, you've turned away backward. And then the passage goes on to talk about the trouble that people who turn away from God will experience. And some of the trouble is just because they're no longer under the protective covering of God and his leadership. And so danger and trouble that they could avoid, instead they walk into. But there's another kind of trouble, it's the discipline of God, which God allows or even causes that is meant to sober us up and to help us straighten up before him. You've turned your back on me is what the Lord is saying. You've turned your back and you've gone in a different direction. Now this is, I think, critically important to understand. Imagine that God is in that direction. What the prophet Isaiah is saying is, you've turned your back to me and you've gone this way. And now what I'm calling you to do is to turn around and go this way. Repentance is based on this idea of direction. It's based on this idea of focus. Where are you headed? What are you focused on? And are you moving towards the Lord or away from the Lord? And so the prophet Isaiah is talking about this and he said, you've already done the most serious thing. You've turned your back. Do you see that? You've turned your back and now you've started going. Now, Isaiah has an insight about something that is so powerful and so important, and I'll try to explain it, and then we'll read the words. It's, it's as if he sees the people are walking this way, but they're looking that way. They're walking away from the Lord, but it's like, hey, hey there. And the Lord says, you're going away from me. Isaiah has this insight that the people are still religious, but they're not focused on him. This is really important to understand. It's an essential part of Isaiah's chazon, his prophetic insight. He sees something that other people don't see. He sees that people can be religious and far from God. And in fact, that they can substitute religious traditions and even God-given traditions for a personal and faithful relationship with God. Religious people can be far away from God. And the prophetic critique is so strong, so powerful, because it's speaking to this. And you can see in verse 12, When you come to appear before me, 
So you come to me. And you bring your sacrifices. And you bring your incense. And you celebrate Rosh Chodesh, the new month. You celebrate Shabbat. You celebrate the different holidays. And I can't stand it. Your Rosh Chodesh celebrations, your feasts. So let's just name them. Your Pesach. Just as an example, your Shavuot, your Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, your, your Sukkot celebrations. I can't stand it. And when, when you lift up your hands and you make many prayers, I, can, I can't listen. It's important to grasp this word from the Lord. He's saying, you've retreated into your religious behaviors and traditions, and you've elevated them to the highest place, and they're more important to you than anything else. And so you're walking away from me, and I see it, but you're coming to Shabbat. You're walking away from me, but Oh, you're, you're wearing big talit and so forth. You've got outward religious behaviors, some of which I even have commanded to you. But the way that you do them and the condition of your heart and the direction you're heading in causes me to, to, to hate what you're doing. Now, does that mean God is against Shabbat? No, of course not. He's the one who created the universe with Shabbat and called us to enter into it. Is God against the Jewish holidays? No. Is he against the biblical holidays? No. God is for all of those, but he knows that those can be elevated up to a place where they become substitutes for a relationship with him. And that is the problem. You can be religious, but the Lord says, you even pray, but you're far, far away from me. You become hard-hearted. And then he identifies some things. For instance, you don't look out for the needs of, of the oppressed. You don't look out for the needs of widows or for orphans. And in, um, in verse 22, I think, It says, your silver has become dross. The dross is, uh, is the impurity of the ore. And the silver that has become dross means the silver is mixed with dross. And some people read this and they think, oh, the silver represents, it's like po a poetic image that represents the, the leadership, and the dross is their condition. And I think, I think it has that element to it, but I don't think that's all that it's saying. I think it's also talking about silver. And it's saying that you are financially corrupt. You have corrupted the financial system. 
You've corrupted the coinage. Instead of coins being pure silver, they're mixed with dross, and so they don't really represent the value that they're supposed to have. You're stealing financially. It's speaking about financial corruption. And then it says something similar about your water is mixed with wine. Your wine is mixed with water. It's watered down. And some people say, well, that means that the pure spiritual wine, you know, symbolic of good spirituality has been watered down. And I think there may be an element to that. But there's another element, which is you, you commit consumer fraud. You steal from people, you, you mix water into the wine, you sell it for full price. You dilute it. If you've ever watched good American westerns, you know that at many of the bars in the Wild West, you know, Cookie or whoever he is, is, you know, mixing water in with the whiskey before. You profit off of other people's thievery. You see, this is the critique. It's not just a religious behavioral critique. And this is very important for the Messianic movement. It's very important for Jewish people. It's, it's very important for non-Jews. I'm going to try to connect it. Because every religious group, Jews, Christians, Muslims for that matter, have this tendency when they recognize something's wrong to become more religious to try to fix it. Okay, here's how it works. The, the Jew in trouble goes to Minyan, goes to holiday services more, starts attending Shabbat more. The, the Catholic in trouble goes to Mass, maybe every day. The charismatic, doesn't like to get up early, goes to night meetings, conferences, looking for a word, doing something religious, participating, trying to discover a new religious method. Oh, the spirit-filled world, both in Messianic and Christian circles, is filled with people who prefer religious magic to a close relationship with God. And they're looking for the technique. There's a huge audience. You can make a lot of money doing this. Uh, so you got a big market, and it's being well-served, but it's false. It's a corruption. What God is looking for is, is a heart that's turned to him. It's the faithfulness and the mercy of God that overturns the corruption. Now, when we're reading this passage in Isaiah, we, we, we could try to think how God is seeing it, and we may actually have this idea that the Lord is about to say, you become so corrupt, I, I am just finished with you, I can't stand you anymore. In fact, there is a, a common teaching that God can't look upon sin. It's not true. He's noticing it all the time. He's looking at sin. And he's calling it what it is, and he's telling those who are heavy laden with sin, there is a way. But here's the problem. If you just increase your religious behaviors and become more religious in that outward way, it doesn't necessarily solve anything. It may, in fact, make things worse. 
Very important to understand. Now, now get this. I want, I, I want you to be clear about this. What I'm not saying is don't come to Shabbat because it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's possible to come to Shabbat and be hard-hearted. It is. It's possible to celebrate the holidays and become more fixated on how to do traditions than how to use those traditions to be close to God. Yeshua made a, a really terrible comment about tefillin. Uh, phylacteries is the Greek word that, that was used in his vocabulary to, to comment on tefillin. It's a really, it's a brutal critique that he gives. Uh, he talks about those who, who lay tefillin. Uh, these are prayer boxes with straps that are put around the forehead and on the, on the arm as well. And there are some who lay tefillin in such a way that they're really trusting in that. And it's not that it's drawing them close to God. And so in the, in the, in the Gospels, Yeshua calls them phylacteries, which is a Greek word that means amulet. And an amulet means um, a magic box or a container. And so Yeshua makes this comment that you put your magic boxes on. It's interesting. And why is he calling it that? Because people are trusting in the thing. And they're thinking, this thing has power. Well, it can have meaning. But when we think the thing has magic power and we must learn how to do it just so, so that it really is correct, at that point, it can become dangerous. And that's what Yeshua is teaching. He's saying, be careful. Your tefillin are now phylacteries. It's a fascinating the scripture doesn't ever say lay tefillin. The scripture says bind these words on your forehead and upon your hands. Write these words on the doorposts. And it's, it, I think it's, it's first of all a poetic image. Make them something that your attention is focused on. You're thinking about, um, you're, they're close to your hands and your arms, the instruments of action that's close to your heart. It's like, keep my words close to your heart. Keep my words close to your mind. And let them be visible to you so that when you're going out, you know who you belong to. And when you come home, you know who you belong to. Let my word be in you. I think that's the main focus not the objects. And in the same way, Yeshua says, you, you make your talit large so that others will notice you. Now, I happen to like large, the large talit. We use a, a very large talit as a chupa for blessing our children and blessing the congregation. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. But we're not trusting in the talit. Do you understand? 
when our traditions become more important than our God, everything's wrong. If you make Shabbat the center of your attention, it can take the place of God. If you become a Sabbatarian, that is an indication. What is a Sabbatarian? It's someone who makes the Sabbath the highest rule of life. Well, Yeshua was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And I'll tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say Shabbat. He didn't say Jewish costume and clothing. He didn't say Hebrew. Make sure it's in Hebrew, I can't stand any other language, no. He didn't say minor keys. Make sure all your music's in minor keys. <laughs> there are a lot of things he didn't say. He didn't say keep kosher. Now it's not that he didn't say these things are have value and importance. It except for maybe the minor keys. He didn't, I don't think he had anything to say about that. But, <laughs> but what Yeshua said is the greatest commandment? You tell me. Yeah. That's the great commandment. Okay. In one word, to love. In two words, to love God. In more words, to love God with everything. Heart, mind, soul, body. To love God with every capacity that you have. To love God, which teaches us that you can legislate love, you can command it, you can make it the rule. It's just, just by legislating it doesn't mean everyone embraces it. And I'm sure there are some people who say, well, I don't really prefer those commands. I like this one, keep Shabbat. <laughs> now we keep Shabbat, don't get me wrong. But the moment that the reason you're here is only Shabbat, you become a Sabbatarian. You become someone whose primary definition and focus about spiritual life is Shabbat, not God. And when that happens, Isaiah's words become important to you, and they're always important to all of us. The moment we allow the religious things that we do together, including the things that God commands, the things that we do together and those religious traditions to substitute for God rather than to augment our relationship and support that relationship. The moment they become a substitute, then they are corrupted and they are not acceptable to God. Can I say it more clearly than that? Probably. But if it's not clear to you what I'm trying to say, let, let, raise your hand. It's like, I don't get what you're talking about, Rabbi. No. They, 
I mean, maybe that is your condition, or maybe there's someone who's listening by podcast who's saying, I don't understand all this. But I want to tell you, the Messianic movement is subject to the same dynamics and forces that all spiritual movements are subject to. And that is being diverted away from first things. And who is first is more important than what is first. And who is first is God. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that God's commands are no longer commands. There's no new movie coming out, The Ten Suggestions. Ten pretty good ideas, or anything like that. <laughs> Ten useful thoughts. <laughs> yeah, Ten useful thoughts from God. No, that's, it is still true that God is authoritative and that he commands. And we know that this is new covenantal truth because Yeshua makes it utterly clear when he says, why do you say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I command? Say this word, command. command. You know what command means? Do it. <laughs> do it. it. It means it's an order. It, you're being directed to do it. You still have to do it with your heart. The moment you don't do it with your heart, it ceases to be fulfilled in a way that's pleasing to God. Well, let's keep going. Isaiah 1, verse 26 and 27, the Lord speaks about where he's headed, and this is so important, because if you read the critique, but you don't read the resolution, then you don't understand either Isaiah or the Lord. Isaiah 126, the Lord says, I will restore. Say that with me. I will restore. This is what God says. In light of all your trouble, I'm going to restore you. Because you can't do it just by yourself. You need help. But I will restore your judges. And this means not only those who ruled in courts of law, but also those who functioned as leaders. I will restore your judges as at first and your advisors as at the beginning. And after that, you will be called a city of righteousness, a faithful city, a city of faith. You see, God says, I will restore. And then he says one more thing. I'm going to restore by restoring people who will be useful for restoring the others. Zion will be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. See, God says, I'm going to act. I'm going to restore. I am not just going to watch you go down the tubes. I am going to intervene myself because of my mercy, because of my covenantal love. And he says, he will restore and he'll use faithful people and it will impact everyone. And this key idea about those in Zion who repent, this is worth paying attention to. Remember what repent means. It means to change direction and turn to God. Now, some people think what repent means is to simply say, I'm sorry. 
How many of you can relate to this? One parent telling the child, you better say you're sorry. And the child either having to go to the other parent and saying, sorry, Dan. Or to their siblings, sorry. How many have ever had that experience? You've seen a child do this. And have you ever seen a child in this condition where their head can't lift? And they're staring at their sneakers and the floor, and they say, sorry. That is not necessarily repentance. You know it. What I learned as a parent and a grandparent is when a child says, sorry, I ask him a question. What are you sorry for? And boy, this separates. <laughs> because have you ever seen that kind of shuffling? The shuffling back, you know, where... And the shuffling with words that can't come out as words, that come out as sounds. It's like, uh, 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 I'm just sorry. And you know what the rest of the sentence is. They just haven't vocalized what's in their mind. I'm sorry I'm in this situation. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you were home when this happened. I'm sorry he ratted on me. I'm sorry you saw me push her. That's not repentance. Now, there are other people who think what repentance means is crying enough tears. Have you ever had a dramatic child in your family who can barely talk or breathe while they're crying? <laughs> I don't know if I could even imitate it. <laughs> but I sure can recognize it. <laughs> and I remember... <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Something like that, right? Not that, but something like that. Um, <laughs> where they're trying to prove that they're, they're sorry. It's, it's not necessarily those kinds of tears. What repentance means is a change of direction and a turning to God. And it may be accompanied with great emotion, it may not. But if all it is is great emotion and words, then it's not turning. You see, the Lord's assessment is this, and I want this to be really clear in your own mind, that the Lord is saying, you already changed direction. Here's your situation. You're going in this other direction. Oh, every so often you look back, it's like, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> Happy Pesach. <laughs> it's like, see you later. You've already, you're going in this other direction, and what's the remedy? Turn around and come back to me. That's the solution. Don't just add more religious behavior to you're going away from God. It won't work with God. 
You can find yourself far, far away from God with many people who are religious and also far away. And it's not that being religious is wrong. It's not that. It's, it can become corrupted. And it can be a substitute for actually going towards God. Now here's the other thing. I want to close with this thought. That when you're going far away from God, or going away from God, and you are like, you haven't been doing it for too long, or you didn't go very fast or far, and you turn around, some people will not have even noticed that you were going away from God. And your behavior was still in the acceptable range. Your heart wasn't. And this is why many religious leaders can become corrupt, why we're vulnerable to it, because we can stay inside the acceptable religious box for others to see, but our hearts can be completely away from God, which will result in something, including uh, behaviors that no one else sees. But then look at the other person who's, who's happily gone this way. Yeah, I used to believe in him, sort of. And they do turn around, and they turn around and they start going to God. But here's their situation. Their behavior is probably not good. But their hearts are now turned in the right direction. Don't be fixated on people's behaviors. Be aware of their hearts. The scripture says God judges the heart, not the outward appearance. So sometimes people have good behavior and bad hearts. Sometimes their behavior is totally unacceptable, but they made a turn. And from that terrible place, they are now coming to God. Cut them slack as they're coming to God. Encourage them, strengthen them. That's what Isaiah is trying to communicate. When you turn around and turn to God and you move towards God, God is looking. Do you have a change of heart and a change of direction? If so, his redemptive work is, is uh, working for your benefit. It's so powerful when you grasp this, when this gets a hold of you, because it helps you understand something. Stay focused on God. Pay attention to your heart. When you become dull in heart, do something about it. Now here's the other sign. You may be sitting with someone who wants to turn, but they're coming from a place that's far away. But you could be useful to help them turn. Don't put up a bunch of roadblocks. Don't make it difficult. Make it easy for people to turn and to walk with you. Walk with people regardless of where they are, regardless of what they're coming out of, and help them. There are some people who are in desperate trouble who need you and your love and your patience and your open heart and your open mind in order to be restored to God. It is true that God can use you. He may have put you right in the middle of other people's lives who really need you. And don't become a Bible thumper. Don't beat them up. Restore them. You know, we've been talking about having open hearts is important, but having open minds, this is also important. And being really open 
to other people. This is also very important. And when our hearts are opened and our minds are open to the Lord, I tell you what, there can be changes in our lives and in the lives of people around us that you can't imagine. And some of you right now, you know this. You know in your heart, God is saying, just, just open up with me and I'm going to help you reach that person who's been so closed or so difficult. Maybe you know someone right now, they're coming to your mind and you're thinking, I could make a difference with them. If there's someone in your life who you want to make a difference with, just raise your hand right now or stand up and let's pray together. God, use me. Stand up right now. Lord, we, we don't want to be just religious. We want to be close to you. And we don't want to lose our relationship with you. We want to stay fresh with you. And we want to be useful to other people. We know this, Lord, that if you restore us, you can use us to restore others. And you have restored us. And we know how powerful and how great your mercy has been in our life. Let us have hearts that are open to others around us. Use us, Lord. Open our minds. Let us see like Isaiah saw. He saw what others couldn't see. Open our spiritual eyes. Open our spiritual ears that we could see what you see. We could hear what you hear and we would know how to restore and use us, Lord, for the sake of restoration, that we might be those that win souls and are counted by you as wise. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. You can remain standing. If you're standing by yourself, please move just enough so that you're not by yourself. And also, I want to invite you to join us at the Shalom Center next door for coffee and fellowship. It's a great time to get to know each other and to enjoy a good cup of coffee and some water. And the welcome, and the welcome class, those of you who are coming to the welcome class, one o'clock in Talmudim room. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and guard and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.